God is on the move. Our church uh, is not just us here or even just online, but the way we like to say it is that our roots are in the house, but our branches go outside the house. And so when Mark went down to Mexico, we sent him to Mexico from here in Jesus' name to bring the good news of the gospel to that region. Now, when you look at your uh, global evangelism strategy manual, did anybody see God doing a move of God through the AA organization through the country of Mexico? Did anybody see that? Did anybody suggest that in a in a, in a roundtable leadership meeting, I know what we ought to do. Inject the gospel into the AA system. Now, AA already has their, their, their system wired globally. So God says, well, I'll use that track. Just like you use the commerce track uh, in Jesus' day where the gospel went along the uh, business routes throughout the world. And that's how the gospel went uh, throughout the world. Like when the uh, uh, treasurer from, the Ethiop- from Ethiopia came to Jerusalem... And you see it in the book of Acts, and, uh, and, and, he's, and he's headed back to Ethiopia, and God tells uh, Philip to run and catch up to the chariot, which was a miracle. So he's running beside the chariot, right? I mean, chariots go kind of fast. We don't know that because we don't know chariots. But back then, I mean, he's headed back to Ethiopia, so they're booking. And Philip's just running alongside the chariot, miracle. And he starts talking to the guy in the, in the chariot, and the guy in the chariot was reading the Bible, reading the book of Isaiah about the Messiah, and uh, so Philip says, you want me to explain that to you? He says, sure. So he gets them saved right there. And all of a sudden, and then he says, well, can I be water baptized? Because that's part of the salvation message. And all of a sudden, there's an oasis in the middle of the desert. And he goes, there's water. So they stop the chariot. He baptizes them. And then when the guy comes up out of the water, Philip's gone. Because the Bible says that the Lord translated him to another city. We can't strategize all these things. God does supernatural things when God wants to do supernatural things to advance his kingdom. Amen? Amen. So that's a great testimony, Mark. And today, I want to talk to you about something that the Lord supernaturally put in my heart. He wants to say something to us today. We've been crying out for a move of God. Pre-service prayer, we have 20, 25 people coming to pre-service prayer. I invite you to come. And we are spending a half hour just telling God, we need you. We need your presence, your power, healings, deliverance, salvation. We need you to move. Anybody, anybody here with me? Am I preaching to the right church today online? Am I preaching to the right people watching online? I need more of God. Well, just like uh, Isabel said, If you want a watermelon crop, you got to plant watermelon seeds. In the same way, when you and I cry out to God for him to do something for a move, like 100% of the time he'll say, okay, then you do that and I'll do this. It's a partnership we have with God. And so we're crying out to him. And last week, he was like shouting through me. You're saying, where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power? And the Lord says back to us, where's the unity? Where's the unity? Where's the unity? And last week we looked at how Satan moves through division. The house divided cannot stand. God moves through unity. And we saw that from cover to cover in the Bible last week. Well, this week he put another theme in my heart that is a precursor to unity. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're talking about an outpouring of God's power. God says the precursor and outpouring of his power is unity. But there's a precursor to unity. 
And this one is going to be a challenge to you and I today. But the reason God wants me to preach on what I want to preach on today, because he's setting us up for a move of God. I want to ask again, how many of you want a move of God in our church, in your life, in our nation, on the planet? What I'm going to talk to you about today is connected. All these things are connected to what I'm going to talk to you about. Let me just, let me, I, I want you to respond to me today with a yes or a no. So let me make sure your yes is working really well. One, two, three, say yes. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. All right. Let's try, let's check your no. One, two, three. No. All right. So I'm going to ask you if you want certain things and I want you to shout out yes or no to make sure we're on the right track today. Do you want more power displayed in your church? Yes. Do you want God's manifest presence in your life? Yes. <laughs> Do you want wisdom, yes. knowledge, yes. a clean heart, yes. prosperity, yes. your children's prosperity, yes. knowing God, yes. lacking nothing, yes. protection, yes. deliverance, yes. long life, yes. confidence, yes. security, yes. peace, yes. fountain of life. And escapes from death. You want all that? Well, it's connected. Every one of those were a scripture. Every one of those were a scripture. And they're all connected to this one thing. You ready for it? It's from cover. Yeah, yes and now. Now maybe. I'm not sure. You're setting us up. I can feel it. This theme is not a small theme. It is from cover to cover in the Bible. It is rarely talked about, and that is a monumental mistake for the church, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. (laughs) On the front way, he said, finally, exactly. You see, so many preachers will not preach on the fear of the Lord because they're afraid that the people won't like it. However, we will lock God's people out of all these blessings I just said to you if we do not walk in the fear of the Lord. That phrase makes some people really uncomfortable. But once you understand what it is, you'll see that it is something incredibly beautiful that releases God's presence and power in your life. So today we're going to answer the question, what is the fear of the Lord? Now, I want to uh, very quickly explain to you how this came to me to teach on this. A couple weeks ago when I was meditating on the uh, topic of unity, I had a dream. I was sitting right back where maybe uh, Gary's sitting and I was getting up and Mark, you were up here talking and I was getting up uh, to conduct the service. It was my turn to come up and I could not get out of my chair. I was pinned to my seat by the presence of God. And I kept trying to get up and I couldn't move. And there was just a holy hush over the whole place. And I woke up and I remembered, immediately came to my mind, uh, the introduction to a book that I read in 1997, written by uh, a preacher named John Bevere. And It's called The Fear of the Lord. This book came to my mind immediately. And I was thinking about one of the stories he tells in here. I'll tell you in a second. 
And so I came and I preached on unity the last Sunday. And then after the Sunday service, you're going to see how this unity and the fear of the Lord and the power of God's all connected today. And so then I texted Josh. Josh and I spend Mondays together. Josh is uh, one of our pastors here on staff. And uh, we meet every Monday. And I said, hey, Josh, rather than us going over one of the books that I usually uh, uh, walk through with you, I said, do you have a book that you would like us to cover tomorrow? Okay, can we see the picture? Of the, he sent me this picture. This is the answer to my question. Is there a book? You got that picture? He sends me this picture of this book. <clears throat> then I had lunch this week with, uh, I wanted to meet the new pastor of Jesus Culture Church here in San Diego, so I called him up, and uh, Josh and I and, and the pastor Zach from Jesus Culture had lunch, and we got to talking, and I invited him to this uh, pastor's group that I, I uh, help lead here in, in the city, and so um, I was texting him saying, hey, we got the pastor's group, you going to come? He goes, yeah, and he said, he said uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm preparing my message uh, for this Sunday. He said, what is it? I said, the fear of the Lord. He said, we are in a series right now called The Fear of the Lord. See, the Lord said to me in December, I said, what are you about right now, Lord? He said, the restoration of the church for the salvation of the world. The church can't be the net that God throws to save the world if the church is in disarray. So right now, the Lord is repairing us after the last couple of years. He's repairing his bride. He's, he's stitching our wounds. He's healing relationships. And part of that is what I want to talk to you about today, which is the fear of the Lord. We hear so much about the love of God, but we hear nothing about the fear of God. And this is on me too. One of my own teenagers asked me this week, what are you teaching on dad? And I said, the fear, the fear of the Lord. And he said, what is that? I was like, oh man, that's on me. And that's on you. If your kids were to ask the same question, this used to be taught all the time in churches, all the time. Over the last 50, 60 years, we just let it fall to the wayside, and it's a massive mistake. We hear a lot about the love of God, not about the fear of God. Understanding the fear of God is integral to walking humbly and powerfully with God. Look at what Isaiah 33 says, verse 5 and 6. Yahweh is high and lifted up. He dwells on high. He lavishes his justice and righteousness on Zion. He will be your constant source of stability in changing times. Who needs God to be your constant source of of stability in changing times. I think we're in some changing times right now. And out of his abundant love, okay, there's his love. He gives you riches of salvation, wisdom, knowledge. Yes. Oh, say this out loud with me. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So when we don't teach on the fear of the Lord, we are locking the people of God out of riches, salvation, wisdom, knowledge. It is the revelation of God's love and his holiness that gives us the perfect picture, the full picture of God. Therefore, we can love him fully and worship him accurately. And what we will find is that when we walk in the fear of the Lord, his presence comes. John Bevere opens his book with a story of going to Brazil, and there was a 4,000-member church down there. It was a meeting. And he walked in and he said, the music was phenomenal, but he did not sense the presence of the Lord at all. He said, the person got up to take the offering, no presence. 
He was reading the word, no presence, the pastor of the church. And he looked out and he saw people talking and kind of joking and, you know, just not paying attention. During the worship, they weren't paying attention, coming in and out and like, right? During the offering, they weren't paying attention. And let me say this to you right now. I'm not bringing this because it's not like a rebuke to our congregation. It's not, uh, the the stories I'm going to share today are not us. Uh, These stories were those congregations at that time and the Lord was doing something with them. But for the Lord to have supernaturally brought this to me to bring to you, there must be some adjustments that are necessary for him to bring the level of presence we've been crying out for. So whatever that is, is between you and the Lord, between us and the Lord, is that I'm preaching the word today. Let the Holy Spirit make any adjustments he needs to make. It's kind of like a time I had this catch in my back. You know, sometimes you can't breathe. You got that catch and you just can't get rid of it. And so my wife made me go to a chiropractor, and I didn't think anything was going to happen. But this lady that looked like a spark plug, man, she just came up to me like this. And she got her elbow, and she went, mm, just drilled it down into there, and it went, pop! And I was like, ah! Anybody ever experienced that before? Anybody gone to the chiropractor or masseuse? You talk, yeah, you get that knot in your back. Yeah, exactly. I believe there's a kink in our hose. I think God is wanting to communicate something to us today so that his power can flow more freely through our lives. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so John was so grieved by what he saw, the disrespect, the dishonor, the lack of reverence for the house of God, for the word of God, for the worship team that's worshiping, and they're all just kind of like talking. And it was just this whole, and he turned to the pastor and said, is this normal? He goes, yeah, they do this all the time. So I have to get up and tell them to knock it off. John was so grieved in his spirit that he got up, didn't even introduce himself, didn't even say hello. He just started talking about their disrespect and their dishonor. He talked for an hour and a half. He said you could just hear a pin drop between every statement. He said at the end of his message on the fear of the Lord, the reverence for God, he said all he did was say, Lord, confirm your word with signs following And he just got quiet. And all of a sudden, he said the presence of the Lord swept through the place. And people started weeping. And then it subsided. And then he said, don't don't move. I've been in the presence of the Lord at times. It's like, don't move. Don't talk. And then another wave came through and just weeping. And then another wave came through. And then he said, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, I'm coming again. And right then he said, he said, I can't even describe it in words, but I'll try. He said, it was like if you're standing on a runway a hundred yards back from a jet that was about to take off. He said, the wind blew through that place. And he said, people started praying to God for like 15, 20, 30 minutes straight, just crying out. And he said, he heard the sound of a, like a, the wind was like a jet engine. And he thought, now the airport's like two hours away from here. That couldn't have been an airplane, but it sounded like it. And so he asked afterwards, they got in the car and the pastor, the pastor's wife was weeping. She said, I saw five waves of fire coming on the building. And he said, but what about that airplane that flew by? He was testing her. And she said, oh, there's no airport around here. And she said, in fact, there were officers and security guards outside. And they said it was just a a calm Brazil evening outside, but they heard a roar from inside the building. He came back the next day to the meeting and the atmosphere was completely changed. The reverence for God had been restored. 
And he said people were getting healed, saved, delivered. It was just an outpouring of God's spirit. God's presence comes where his presence is reverenced. Yes, God is love, family of God, but did you also know that he's a consuming fire? Look what this says in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Okay, now we get taught on grace, and when it's not taught properly, we think we can just do whatever we want, and it really doesn't matter because, you know, God's like, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy. He's soft, and he's, he's like grandfatherly, and he's like overly permissive, and we can just do whatever we want because, you know, God's the God of grace. But what does it say grace is supposed to do? Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. This is New Testament. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Grace is not supposed to produce sloppy Christians. It is to produce gratitude for who God is, what He has done for us, which produces profound humility, which enables us to walk humbly with our God. So what is the fear of the Lord? Put simply, it is this. The fear of the Lord is reverence, respect, and awe of God that results in joyful obedience. The fear of the Lord is reverence, respect, and awe of God that results in joyful obedience. Look at the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, talking about Jesus himself, our captain, our Lord, our God, our guide. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. That's Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and say it out loud. The spirit of the fear of the Lord rested upon Jesus. And then it says this. Remember our definition. The fear of the Lord results in joyful obedience. Look at this. He will delight in obeying the Lord. Another translation says he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Obeying the Lord and the fear of the Lord are the same phrase throughout the Bible. So when we don't obey God, we are not reverencing God. We don't respect him. We're not in awe of him. We just kind of do what we want. And we wonder why there's a short circuiting of God's presence and power in our lives. Can I hear an amen, church? Come on now. Now watch what happens. This is like the result of the spirit of the fear of the Lord and the joy of obeying God. He will not judge by appearance or make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy their wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In other words, as Jesus is walking in the fear of the Lord, or as you and I are walking in the fear of the Lord, we will have the same results he does. We will be able to execute justice properly. We'll be able to minister to the poor properly. We will have uh, mercy and righteousness. We will make decisions that are clear. We won't judge by what we see or by what we hear. This is why God says in the Old Testament in particular, That anyone who's going to lead in government or over his church or even in the business sector, he says they must uh, operate in the fear of God. 
Because God knows the people that are in charge, if they're not operating in the fear of God, they will do what they think is right by the sight of their eyes, by the hearing of their ears, by the dictates of their own heart. And the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. So God says those who are in leadership in any sector need to operate in the fear of God so they have the wisdom of God, the heart of God, see the way God sees, hear the way God hears so that he can exercise his righteousness in the earth. We teach about God as though obeying him is optional. This is a huge mistake. So I'm going to answer this question now. You guys still with me? This is a setup. God's presence is going to increase in our church and in our lives as we submit to this teaching. What is the difference then between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of the Lord? Well, the scriptures talk about that. Watch this. Exodus 20, 18 through 21. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. This is in the Old Testament where God delivered his people out of Egypt, right? Moses, the Ten Commandments, right? The the Ten Plagues on Egypt and three million Jews come out of bondage after 430 years. Now they're out in the desert. And God is like, finally, I have you to myself. My people, oh, we're back together. I'm your God. <laughs> now, they're used to the false gods of Egypt. They're used to little, you know, calves and, and, and cats and, you know, the statues. I mean, these little gods they would make and they would bat down and worship these wooden things, these golden things. They'd never, they never had a relationship with a the living God. And so God shows up to the party. Hey, we're back together. (laughs) They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses says to the people, don't be afraid. Seriously? Seriously? Don't be afraid of him, of that? Moses. Moses had an angle on God that the people of God did not. What do you think that was? Oh, come on, Rick. Rick's preaching today. He said Moses had a relationship with God. That was the difference. Moses knew God. He knew God was not only fire, but love. Not only holiness, but grace. He knew that although God is like, he was also tender and loving and long-suffering. That's why the Bible says that God showed his acts to the children of Israel, but his ways to Moses. It's the difference between a, 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 a rebellious child that you're trying to have a relationship with, but you can't because they're resisting your authority all the time, and you're just trying to make that relationship right, and a child over here that is obeying you 
and respecting your authority. It's like, well, what do you want? Here's the keys to the car. Here's a hundred bucks. Go have some fun with your friends. I mean, there's, there, there is a difference in your relationship with someone who is honoring your authority and one who is not. And what happens in this relationship is there is a, there is a reciprocal uh, communication going on. You listen to Moses' conversations with God and they are hilarious. God says, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses says, no, you're not. No, you're not. God's like, why? Well, because then people, will, the, people in Egypt will say he delivered, he delivered them out of Egypt, but he couldn't deliver them out of the desert. And God's like, yeah, that's right. Okay. And then God says, okay, well, take your people. And Moses goes, oh, these aren't my people. These are your people. And they get into this argument about it. What is that? That's a relationship. That's why when God shows up and this people group, all they wanted was God's blessings, but they didn't want God. They married him for his money. So they don't know him. And so he looks, so he's scary when he shows up and who he, in his fullness. But what was, what, what is Moses? Look at what Moses says. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you not to harm you, to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. What? Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that his fear may be in you to keep you from sinning. What is that about? God was showing them, I am not like the idols of Egypt and I'm not like the idols of the lands that you're going into. I want you to understand who I am. So it will produce awe in you. Appropriate respect and reverence. So that when you go into these other lands, that their worldly culture and the gods they worship, you won't do that because you respect and reverence me, your God, a consuming fire. Look how awesome I am. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, this next phrase is so great. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. In the book of Hebrews, I quoted it earlier, our God is a consuming fire. It was quoting out of this Old Testament text that God is a consuming fire. And in that text, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Moses' knees were knocking as he walked into the cloud. See, that's the proper balance. I know God loves me, but he's kind of scary too. And so you're kind of like, you're going into his presence with confidence, but with awe. You see the balance? Uh, greatest picture I can come up with was this day when I was so angry at my kids because they're kids. And, and I remember standing in the foyer of our house and I, I, was, I yelled it's not very often that I do that, but sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Parents, sometimes somebody, anybody at all, come on now. Okay. No, no lying in church. No pretending sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like a Tasmanian devil in the, in the foyer of our house, you know, <laughs> it's like, ah! it like this dark clap, <laughs> lightning bolts, right? And Ava was like about five or six years old. You know, all the kids were like, <laughs> that's like, it's two sides of dad. 
Not Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Come on. It's, well, that's an old illustration for some of you, but it's tenderness and love, but there's also this ferocious part of dad, this authority, this power. And I'm standing there in the foyer, man, and all the kids are like just frozen. And Ava, five or six years old, she just walks right into the cloud and just hugs my legs. I'm like, first of all, that is so unfair. It, it just melted me. It calmed the, the, you know, soothed the savage beast. How, what gave her the confidence and security to walk right into daddy's anger cloud and hug him? She knew me. She knows me. She sat on my lap like we sang earlier. So many times she knows the fullness of me. She's not afraid of me. Even when lightning bolt is coming out of my eyeballs. God does not call us to reverence or worship him as though he needs it. It's not like he has this ego that's easily bruised. Or like he's some kind of dictator that demands, obey me. That's, no, he's doing it for us. Because if we don't reverence him, we'll run off into sin and it'll destroy our lives. He says, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. Then he says this, choose life. Like, you know, <laughs> he tells us what to choose as though it would be obvious. And he wouldn't have to say that, but he needs to tell us. He does this. Now, Jesus says that God has come to reveal himself and his awesomeness before you to test your hearts. Do you think he was testing them so that God would know what was in their hearts? What was he doing? He was testing them so they would know what's in their hearts. And that's what's happening up in here today. The Lord is speaking to us through his word today so that we can know, letting the word do the work today, so we can know what's in our hearts so that we can bring our hearts to the Lord here in just a few minutes and say, oh God, oh, oh, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. This is why God loved David so much. David wasn't sinless. There's only one sinless. What's his name? Jesus is the only sinless one who's ever been and ever will be. But this purifying process of the reverence of God helps us stay away from sin and the things that will ruin our lives and dishonor God. And it helps us become more and more like a reflection of our Father in the earth. We need to understand the fear of the Lord comes to set us free. Now, here's how this process works. The fear of the Lord is produced in us the more we see him and know him. God gives you little glimpses. And when you see him, you're like, whoa. And how we respond in that moment, how we respond to God, then dictates how much more of himself he's going to reveal to us. Look what this scripture says. 
See, the truth is God reveals himself to those who reverence. Look at this incredible truth. The Lord is a friend. Everybody say a friend. You know that song? I am a friend of God, right? I hate that song because it's so not true. Not everybody's the friend of God. God only called two people in the whole Bible his friend. And then he's called his group of first disciples friends. But he said, because you've been with me from the beginning, I call you friends as long as you do whatever I say. Oh, that sounds like friendship with God is conditional. It is. Everybody do this. Turn to your neighbor and go like this. Do this. Yep. The friendship with God is conditional. Would, okay. Would you be a friend with somebody who ghosts you? Right? You're texting, hey, what's up? What's up? And they just leave it on, on red. Right? You know they read it. But they have not responded to you. So, oh, maybe they're busy. Maybe they didn't get it. So you text them again. Hey, buddy. Ghost. Nothing. Send an email. Call them. Go straight to voicemail. You don't hear back from them. Is that the person you're going to say, gosh, I feel so close to you right now. (laughs) It makes me want to just tell you my deepest dreams and my, my deepest concerns. And I want you to Oh, if there's anybody I want to share my heart with, it's you because you're ignoring me and dishonoring me and disrespecting me. You see, but that's what we do to the Lord when we just decide we're going to do whatever we want to do, no matter what he wants, I'm going to do my thing. And then we come to God and say, now, now this is what I want from you. I'm going to read it again. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. We have to learn to respect God. We need to learn to respect God and the things of God. Let's say somebody walked into your house and you say to them, you know, I'd like you to take your shoes off because that's how we do it here. And they say, nah, they just walk on in with their shoes on, right? Just walking all over your carpets. You're going to be like, say, what? Let's say with your kids, you know, you're like, hey, we're going to do such and such. And they're like, I don't think so. Or you're an employer, you run a company. You're like, this is what, this, this is the direction we're going. And you're placing, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. The police officer pulls you over. Uh, Let me see your driver's license. No, I don't think so. And you just drive off. (laughs) The pastor says, we're going to do such and such. You're like, nah, we're not going to do that. I'm going to do it my way. We have to understand the way that the fear and the reverence of God translates into real life. What God calls holy, we cannot call unholy. That's disrespectful. If we want God to reveal more of himself, we need to reverence him. Imagine if, imagine if, Jake Paul just walked in here or Justin Bieber or Beyonce or Bill Gates or LeBron James, Elon Musk walked, just walked right in here right now. What would your reaction be? Come on, be honest. What would your reaction be? What, what, what would it be? You're like, it'd be like, you're like, what? Shock and all, right? Right. 
Well, Jesus says that we're two or more gathered in my name. I'm right there with you. I love, uh, you, ever, you know the show um, Undercover Boss? You know what that show is about? Right? So you got a CEO of a major company, and then they disguise themselves, and they come down to the lowest level, and they're, you know, a fry cook or whatever they're doing, and they're working with the people. And then at the end of it, he reveals himself who he really is. Right? Watch this. You don't know who I am, do you? No. I was Mark Largos. Okay. I'm Stephen J. Klubeck, the chairman and CEO of Diamond Resorts. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, are, you are the owner. <laughs> no kidding. Stop it. Dude, you were incredible, man. You had me. Wow. <laughs> I kept a little bit of Mark with me. Are you for real? Yeah. I actually got my ears pierced for this. Oh, see, now you're rocking out. Now you're like a cool boss. Monique, you are lovely. <laughs> you are exactly what the guest needs to see in the activities department. You mentioned the uniforms. You don't like them? I know. We should change them. We should. We should design them for me. Ah! But, 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 you gotta do me a favor. What's that? You gotta go to FIDM first. Ah! You're, are you serious right now? I'm gonna pay for you to go to fashion school. My mom is gonna be so excited. Here, take my hanky. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. You know, you can't commute, so I'm also gonna get you an apartment for two years downtown LA. understand how much this means to me. I never wanted to put that on my mom. My mom's a single parent. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna make you proud. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. The opportunity to go to school when I didn't think there was an opportunity to go after my dream is incredible. I mean, not everybody gets to do what they love. I can't even explain what it feels like or, I mean, there's really no words. I'm speechless. And that's what Jesus did for us when he came down from heaven. He became one of us. And then he reveals himself. Now at first, it can be like shock and awe, right? Kind of like Peter. Remember Peter's fishing with the rabbi? The rabbi's in his boat, Jesus the rabbi. He's fishing. And he's like, hey, you know, why don't you throw your net over there? And Peter's like, rabbi, look, you're the preacher, I'm the fisherman. We've been doing this all night long. You stay, just stay in your lane. You know what I'm talking about? Just stay in your lane. And he throws the net over and, of course, there's this massive catch of fish. And then Peter realizes, revelation, realizes who Jesus is. And what's, what's, what's his response? What's his response? Come on. He falls down on his knees in front of Jesus and says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You see, it's the revelation of God that reveals to us who we are so that we can worship him appropriately. Isaiah chapter six, the prophet walking into the house of God to tell God the way things are. The economy's bad. The government's bad. The church is in shambles. He's going in there to talk about the corruption that's in every sector of society. He's walking into the temple and all of a sudden, whoosh, God reveals himself. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what was his first response? 
I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm among the people of unclean lips. When you see the holiness of God, not the love of God, when you see the holiness of God, it reveals our true level. And then we have a choice. Do we turn our back and say, I still want my way. I still want my life. I'm still going to do my thing. Or do you fall on your face and say, oh God, you are God and I am not. And that's what Isaiah did. He fell on his knees just like Peter did. And God then put a hot coal on his lips and says, I purged you of your sin. And then he says, now, who will go for us? The Trinity says, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Where? To save the lost. You see, Isaiah's mind was all wrapped up in government, all wrapped up in injustice on the earth, all wrapped up in the economy, all wrapped up in all the things going on in the world. And God was wrapped up in those who didn't know him yet. You see, Isaiah was not on God's page because Isaiah is operating out of his own humanity. He walks into the presence of God. It's like, oh my God. He says that the place was shaking. And when it was all said and done, God says, who's going to go for us? And then Isaiah goes, I'll go. Send me. And God sent him to the nations. It's the presence of and the reverence of God that gives that chiropractic adjustment we do need to get on God's page. But here's a problem. Here's a major problem. Even if those famous people walked in here and at first you were in shock and awe, if you hung out with them for a day and then maybe for a week and then maybe a month, maybe a couple months, maybe a year, all of a sudden the sheen kind of wears off a little bit. And you realize, well, they're just a dad. They're just a husband or a wife or they're divorced or they've been married three times or they don't handle their money exactly right. And, you know, they kind of offended me when they looked at me the wrong way or they didn't invite me out to lunch. I mean, I've been with them, right? And all of a sudden, you know what starts happening? You know what it's called? It's a huge problem. Familiarity breeds contempt. When your kids are young, they think the parents hung the moon. They get to be around 12 or 13 or 14 and you don't know jack. You get a new job and you're in awe of the boss. I got an audience with the CEO. But you start working as the CEO's assistant. And after a while, right, you start to disrespect and dishonor the office because of the person that's in the office. And you become familiar. You would think, well, that would never happen with God. Yeah, oh, yeah, it happens. Peter, who fell down at the feet of Jesus, said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. After he hung out with Jesus for a few years, and Jesus explains to him his strategy for salvation, Peter takes it upon himself to pull Jesus aside and counsel him. Jesus, now, you know, you can't be right all the time, okay? I mean... I've got something to say here too. I'm bringing something to the table, Jesus. I don't think that's a good plan. And Jesus turns and says, what? Get behind me, Satan. We'll talk about a chiropractic adjustment in your spiritual life. (laughs) (laughs) We can become so familiar with God that we take the things of God for granted. Look at this. Leviticus chapter 10. This is the pastor's children. Ready? Then Dahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who was the priest or the pastor, he each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered profane fire. Was a profane? 
profaned fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. In other words, they were doing it their way, not the way God told them to do it. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. The word profane there means showing disrespect or contempt for sacred things or irreverent. The word irreverent means to treat what God calls holy or sacred as if it were common. The same thing happened to another priest's sons, Eli's sons. They were around church, volunteering in the church, but they didn't know God. So they took him lightly. And the Bible, and they also died. And so God says in 1 Samuel, the sons of Eli and Phinehas were worthless, dishonorable, unprincipled men. They did not know nor respect the Lord. And then he ends by saying in 1 Samuel 2.30, but I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. I remember when I was in a church in East County, it was a mega church, and I did not trust my pastor. And it turned out I was right. I, had, I was with this other pastor. It was a hundred member church, ended up being a couple thousand. And he would preach on the fear of God, the holiness of God, reverence for God, the blood of Jesus, repentance, all of that. And there were times in the, our church where he would get done preaching in the eight o'clock service and the 1030 service wanted to come in, but they couldn't because we were all under the presence and the cloud of God of the hush. Nobody wanted to move. I mean, it was so powerful. The presence of the Lord was so powerful sometimes in those services because of the fear of God in the place. Not afraid of God, just the presence of God. And then another pastor came in and took over. And the music was better. The, the glitz was better. We were on TV. It was like the show was better. The choir was better. Everything. I mean, he dressed better. He had, he had a nice set of teeth, right? These, he got veneers up front. He smiled better. Everything looked better on the outside, but the presence of God was gone. I didn't know what it was, but I knew what it wasn't. It wasn't the presence of the Lord. And I remember I was resisting him. I sat in the front row and I just, I, I didn't, I, I was, I was dishonoring and disrespecting him because I didn't trust him. And the Lord rebuked me. I was at home in prayer and he said, he said, because you're disrespecting your pastor, you are going to miss out on the door I'm opening for you. It, you see, just because a person's in a place of authority that you disrespect, you can't disrespect the office that they hold. Because when you do that, you're disrespecting God. Because all authority comes from God. He may not, God may not be happy with the way the person's behaving and the position they're in, but God does respect the office. And God is very clear that when you respect, disrespect anybody who's in authority, you're disrespecting God. Now, you may not like this, but it's truth. And it's one of the reasons that the power of God is disconnected from our earthly experience because of our dishonoring of him. So I went into uh, my pastor's office because he wanted to meet with me. It was on a Wednesday night service. And I walked in there and he, I didn't know this, was going to fire me that night because of my rejection and resistance to his authority. God was going to cut me off. And I said, Pastor, before you say whatever it is you're going to say tonight, I didn't know what it was. I said, I need to repent. I am so sorry. I would be lucky to be an usher in this church. God humbled me. 
And the youth pastor was next to me and went, Phew. I was like, I wonder what that was about. And then the pastor talked about some stuff and then the meeting was over and we walked out and I said, he didn't even talk to me about anything. What was that about? He said, he was going to fire you tonight. I said, why? He said, because of your attitude toward him. The next Sunday I'm sitting on the front row and I was, I had a completely different response to him, not because of him, but because of the position that he held before God, God put him in that place. Now he ended up failing and falling and was out of ministry. So God dealt with him, but he was also dealing with me. And as I was sitting on that front row honoring him, guess what happened? He, when he preached over the last few months when he was preaching, I got nothing out of what he was preaching because I had an attitude toward him. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when I humbled myself, all of a sudden the anointing that was on him, I physically felt it go into me. And see, what was on him that was from God, I got through humility. What was on him that was not from God took him down, but I went on. But see, the same thing could happen to me, same thing could happen to you. Okay, I'm going to, uh, I got a bunch of scripture that I cannot get to because of time. But I do want to bring this to the New Testament. I want, I, want to, I want to make sure we connect the dots here. Whether it is disrespecting your wife, disrespecting your husband, disrespecting your mom or your dad, disrespecting your children, disrespecting your pastor, disrespecting the president of the United States, anybody in authority, disrespecting your boss, not treating your employees right, not reverencing the house of God, the things of God, the people of God, all of that, is, is, a, is a disconnection from honoring God. When you look in the New Testament, there's a pattern you see. Reverence, unity, power, growth. Reverence, unity, power, growth. You see this in every one of these passages. This, this is, again, something you see in the early church we don't see in the current church. And it's one of the reasons we have a lack of power. In the book of Acts 2, 42 and 3, it says this, And they continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It's the first time miracle signs and wonders were mentioned in the New Testament. And it comes right after it says fear came upon every soul. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Then Acts chapter 5, talk about people dying in the Old Testament because they disrespect the presence of God. Do you know it's also in the New Testament? Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira came, they brought their offering and lied about it. Okay, I'm running out of time, but I got to set this up. It's just so important. Barnabas, a guy who comes from a, a wealthy area, comes and he sold some land and he gave a massive offering to the church. 
Ananias and Sapphira saw that because the very next verse, the very next chapter is Ananias and Sapphira came in. They were also wealthy. They sold some land and they decided they were going to lie about how much they sold the land for. And then they came and gave a certain, certain portion, but they lied and said, this is all of it. I think they were trying to compete with Barnabas. And so the apostle says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Not to us, the church, the leaders, to the Holy Spirit. He said, when you sold the land, wasn't the money yours? You could do whatever you want with it. But you chose to come here and lie about how much of the offering you were giving. And they died right there in front of the apostles, right at church. You say, well, what was the difference there? This is such an important phrase to grab this morning. Doing things that look obedient to the Lord, whatever the Bible says, the Bible's chock full of things we are to do and not to do. Doing these things without reverence for God is just legalism. I'm supposed to do these things because I'm a Christian. The Bible says I have to do these things, so I'm going to do these things out of willpower. So it looks the same, but the motivation is just religion. So doing these things without reverence for God is just doing them out of willpower because you have to. That's how I was raised. But doing the exact same things, whether it's giving or praying or worshiping or forgiving somebody or showing reverence to authority or whatever it is, if you're doing those things out of reverence for God, it's called worship. That's the difference. Barnabas comes out of reverence for God. I want to give to the things of God. What, what I considered holy to me, my wealth, I given to God for his things. That was sanctified. It was holy. Ananias and Sapphira obviously don't know God. They don't have the fear of God. If they did, they would never bring an offering and lie about the offering in God's church. So clearly they don't have an, a relationship with God. They don't reverence him. And so they're doing what Barnabas did. Barnabas goes on and ends up becoming an apostle. Ananias and Sapphira die. In the same church, doing the same thing. Somebody say Mufasa. So fear, Acts 5, after that encounter, so great fear came upon all the church. Great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done. There it is again. The fear comes upon the church, the awe, the reverence of God, and signs and wonders were done among the people. They're all with one accord. There's unity in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. There's the growth. Multitudes, both men and women. They brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds, couches, that just the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, in Acts chapter 9, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in what? the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. 
I was down in Mexico. Hundreds of people came from all over South Mexico, pastors. I, I serve a, a network down there over about 100 churches. And this is the Southern Convention. I'm in my hotel room on Saturday morning. I wake up, I preach Saturday night. And I open up my Bible, ask the Lord what he wants me to share that night. And he gave me a scripture out of Isaiah. And it said, I translated your sacred gatherings, your church services make me want to vomit. I can't endure them anymore because you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And the sin that's in your, your midst is, I, I don't want your bowls and your ghosts and your offerings. I want your heart. Qu- quit offering me that stuff. Give me your heart. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to teach that. That's horrible. I mean, these people come from all over Mexico to be encouraged, to be edified. Come on, let's have, let's go there and celebrate tonight. And I mean, I wrestled with the Lord all day long in my hotel room. Oh, I didn't want to bring that word. What a horrible word. I'm standing on the front row during worship and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do That's all I could think of. I wasn't even worshiping. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then a prophet walks up next to my interpreter and says something to him. And I said, what did he say? He said, the Lord says no more, no more, um, no more teaching. He wants repentance. I went, oh my gosh. (laughs) So I got up and I taught much of what, like what I was taught today about repentance from sin, that you can't treat God lightly. I got done and I didn't know what happened. You know, I gave people an opportunity to repent like we're going to do here in just a minute, whatever the Lord's striking your heart with. Think that's the Lord? (laughs) He's calling somebody. You can't hear him. He's going to call you. He's going to get through to you somehow. And I called Mario later and I asked him, what happened in those meetings? And he said, on the way home, they they chartered two big buses. On the way home, there was complete silence on the buses. And all of a sudden, people started weeping. And people started crying out for God. And people started getting saved. And then there was a revival. If you feel like the Lord has spoken to you today. And that you have treated things and people that God honors with dishonor or disrespect. That familiarity has breed contempt in your heart. And you want to get right with the Lord. Just stand to your feet right where you are. And I'm already standing, so I'm standing. You know, one of the reasons why miracles break out, like Mark going down to Mexico, you're like, why doesn't that happen here? I'm going to tell you exactly why. Here's a big reason. Jesus, the son of God said he could not do many mighty miracles in his own hometown 
because of their unbelief. What does he mean? He said, a prophet is not without honor except at home. Right? Like my kids and I, it's a temptation. You guys honor me as your pastor. I go home and I'm just dad, but I'm also dad. There's authority there and they can allow their familiarity to breed that contempt and it blocks the flow of blessing that God wants to give to them through me. We can do it here. They did it with Jesus. They did it with Jesus. He would go out to these other towns and miracles happen. He goes home and not much. Why? The familiarity. Mark goes down to Mexico. These miracles happen. Why? Because they're flying in the big prophet. Their expectation levels up. Their respect is up. Jesus said, honor a prophet in the name of a prophet and you get the prophet's reward. Mark comes home. Ah, it's just Mark. We have to be discerning. Now, don't bow down and worship us. That's not what I'm talking about. Let's be discerning. I'm kidding. We need to discern one another through the eyes of God and honor one another the way that God honors one another. We need to get on his page. So ask the Lord, just close your eyes. Have you treated as common what God has called holy? Have you chosen to do things your way rather than God's way? Have you been flippant with God? Had an attitude toward God? If so, humble yourself right now before Him. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to cleanse you. And tell Him your way, not my way. You're the Lord, I am not. Let's just turn our hands, palms heavenward, and let's welcome him into his house. Shane, will you lead us?
ask that you fill this place with your presence right now. I can walk away. Increase your presence among us, God. For I have seen your face. Purge us with your fire, God. I can walk away. Let your fire burn in our hearts. Draw us in, God. I just want to be near your heart. Let your fire fall, God. There is nothing like your love. There is nothing like your love. I can't get Spirit of God, fall on us in this place. I can't walk away. Lord, I can't walk away. For I have seen your face. Reveal yourself to us. Let us see. I can't walk away. I love. Come on, let's honor him. Sing that. sing that again. Let's do that again. Come on, church. One voice. Oh, 
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Let's sing holy, 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 Jesus, I love you, Jesus, we love you. Kobe, you have a word? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front. God responds to reverence when we reverence his presence. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to move from your seats, come up front. I'm believing God for miracles today in this place. I've asked them to confirm his word with signs following. If you've had uh, physical conditions that maybe have not gone away many times, this is the key. Remember, we read that up front. This is the key to these things, the scripture says. Maybe you've dealt with a chronic illness or some kind of a spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, financial issue or condition. Move from your chairs, come up here, and let these prayer teams pray over you. And let's believe for the presence of God to break these things. Kobe, what do you have? I just feel like God was saying that sometimes relationships or love that we experience from this world can distort our perception of God's love. Mm. And when we experience God's love, that actually brings clarity to the people of this world. Um, for example, if you grew up and you're, you're afraid of your father, you're afraid of your dad, most likely you're going to be afraid of God. And so I just want to pray right now that the, the lies that we believe from the experiences that we have or the relationships of this world just, just are dropped from and, and that we can actually see God clearly. Yeah. That, that. that our fear, our being afraid of God turns into the, the fear of God that you're talking about. Yeah. So when we, when we can appropriately fear God, he can love us appropriately, like how it was supposed to be. Yes. Pray that, Kobe. Come so on. I just pray right now, God, that, that whatever experience they had of, of an imitation of love from this world, God, does not fall on you, God, that you show what real love looks like, God. I pray that they are able to, to drop those experiences and just fear you respectfully and honorably, God, so that they can experience that love. And so they can see the relationships in their life, God, and see, oh, that's where, they, that's where they fell short. I understand it now, but God doesn't fall short. God is perfect love. And so, God, I, I pray that you just start breaking uh, just chains, breaking walls in people's hearts that are guarded against God, guarded from submitting, um, guarded, guarded from laying things down at his feet because they believe that he is something that he is not. God, you just have all this love that you are waiting to pour out, God. So I pray that people can just know you so they can fear you, God, with honor and not be afraid. And just like that, that image that John said, just whatever you look like, they just approach you and wrap their arms around you, God, because that's yeah. what you're waiting for. Yeah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the worship team continues to worship, just slide out of your seat and come on up for prayer. Maybe just, I don't know, what will happen? I mean, anything could happen. God's here. His manifest presence is going to break out on some of you. 
It's life transformational. So we're going to continue to worship. Um, you can come up here. You can just stay there and worship. We're concluding official service, but we're not going to end the lingering part of just being in his presence. I can't get enough. No, I can't get enough. 